All right. Welcome back to the Park Hills Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We are just enjoying doing this. We hope you enjoy it as well. We'd love your feedback. We'd also love for you just to connect with Park Hills. And so go to parkhillschurch.com and find us there. You'll see all the different things we're doing. We're excited about a Bible in a Year plan that's coming up soon and a bunch of other things. So we'd love for you to jump in with us no matter where you are on the globe. So join us. There's no shortage of judgment in the world, is there? No, there is not. You think about all the things that uh, people are judged on or how we judge one another. And I think that maybe this, again, is more current. And I don't mean to keep talking about election stuff, but there's a lot of judgment flowing back and forth. And for the people... On on the right are going, how could people go for someone who uh, has these things and is okay with uh, abortion and okay with higher taxes and all this stuff? And, and uh, people on the other side are going, how could, how could we support someone who's, uh, who would put kids in cages and build a wall and, and uh, not intervene quick enough in the police and, and racial issues and all this stuff. So, so there's judgment on it. And right. my guess is people are judging me right now because the way I said that I didn't, I didn't lean right enough or I didn't lean left enough or I'm judging you. I know that that's, that's, that's normal, but, uh, oh, man. <laughs> but, but really think about what we judge each other on. I right. mean, I'm going to confess here. I judge what, you know, the, the cars people choose to drive. I think really, really, you, why, why would you drive that? Yeah. You know, do you not see how ugly that is or whatever? Um, but people judge each other with their, their clothing. They right. they judge each other whether or not they're fit enough or whether or not, or if they're, you know, not dressed right, whatever it is. Right. And, and it happens in the church too, doesn't it? And, and Paul's addressing that here just because uh, in this in this passage here in, in Colossians 2, starting in 16, uh, and he says, listen, no, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Well, he's just used to it because he goes on as it regards to the festival or new moon or Sabbath. And and what's going on here is the religious people are judging the new believers about whether or not they're being religious enough. And and again, I think we do this in so many ways. And uh, in the message, I mean, I use the illustration of you know, looking at the, an Amish family and how they choose to live and we judge them or maybe we feel judged by them because they're so much more conservative than we are and they mm-hmm. don't do things that we do. And you compare that with some of the modern thought and and there's judgments. Am I in the right spot here? Am I doing the right thing? And then you can get into uh, judgments that church has put forward and, right. and, and preach and teach as the way to go. And that's where it gets really muddy and murky for people who are trying to follow after Christ. Yeah. And if you put the right religious leader in place, you know, and you are enamored with them or you think they're so great, everything they say is truth and there's no other way to look at it. And even if they're completely slanted on one side or the other, there's no way around it. Uh, which is something that the church has been dealing with from the beginning. Instead of looking to Christ and Christ alone, 
we a lot of times start to look at certain leaders and say, I like that guy more than this guy. And, you know, Christ ascended into heaven, so he's far away from us now. But uh, so I'm going to go after this person. We see this in, you know, First Corinthians, for example. You know, mm-hmm. You've got this argument going on between Peter and Paul and, and Apollos. And I even said that wrong because it's not that they're arguing. It's that the people are arguing about yeah, which are, one of them they like. The people most. are picking their favorite. Yeah. And we have that today. You know, where the individuals will come to one of our offices and say, I really like, you know, this pastor or this pastor, not on our staff because they love all no, of us. No, that's equally. right. 100% equal. Correct. But, you know, during COVID times, we, I don't know about you, but I've had people listening to four or five sermons a day on Sunday mornings. And they're like, you know, I really like Andy Stanley or I really like <laughs> David Ma- Jeremiah. Matt Chandler or yeah. David Jeremiah. And they're like, why don't we do more? I'm like, I'm not that guy. Like, there's no way that we're going to just pick that up and do that. And you see that that has happened. It happens in the church today, but it happened in the church here. And what Paul's dealing with is not just a leadership issue of which leader are we going to follow, but also a a Jewish versus non-Jewish issue Mm -hmm. where the Jews have a system of, of festivals that are from the beginning of time, so to speak. God ordained. And they're totally God ordained. And so if you're not practicing the Passover in the way that the Jew practices the Passover, how dare you? And if you're not eating this food or this drink, or you are eating that food or that drink, how dare you? Because you're breaking the laws that are given to us. And so this argument right here in these short little verses, Paul's really settling an argument within the church for the Jews and the non-Jews. And what he's saying here is, listen, all of you have problems. And part of the reason why you have a problem is there's this proto-Gnosticism kicking in. Mm-hmm. You're treating the, the physical body as if it's the end-all, be-all. And either that means that you think the physical body has no value, so you act a certain way, or the physical body has utmost value, and so you act a certain way. And it's not even that that's the case. It's that God has done something different right now through Jesus. Heaven has come down, right? And glory fills my soul. Everybody. Nice. The, yeah, you got yeah. people singing now. There you go. Uh, the, the whole idea here is that there, heaven is supposed to meet with earth. And Paul's saying that's already happened. So now that that's happened, we don't pass judgment on one another for the food or drink that we do. We don't pass judgment on which holiday we celebrate and which one we don't. You know, I know that there's been issues uh, in my life throughout my young, you know, hip life that I've had so far. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate watching his face. Think about how sarcastic he's going to be with me next. Uh, But, you know, whether I celebrate church on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, right? Mm -hmm. Or whether I choose to take my Sabbath on a Friday versus Sunday. You know, if I mow on a Sunday, people are like, oh, that's the Sabbath you're breaking. I'm like, I worked this morning already. So I already worked today. If Friday's my Sabbath, why does it matter which day I'm choosing here? And so we have these issues, right? Am I going to celebrate Christmas this way or am I going to celebrate it this way? Am I going to celebrate Thanksgiving this way or this way? And it's like, chill. I think that's part of what, that's my translation of what Paul's saying. Just chill. Just chill and realize that judgment's stupid. Yeah. Well, and it's been in the church for years too because as times change and things uh, look different, we begin to embrace tradition so tightly you know, um, you know that I'm young and, and yeah. hip as well. Since yes. you brought that up, very, very I, I'm young and hip. But when when I was not quite uh, as old as I am now, and I was, you know, not that long ago, but anyway, even younger and hipper. At, at that time, church was, you know, Sunday school on a Sunday morning, and and then the Sunday morning church, and then Sunday evening church, and then Wednesday night prayer meeting and family ministries and, and great things, all of them. But that was the way you had to do it. And then, back then you had, you know, the organ was played and the piano was played and you sung hymns. And when that started to change, there was a major pushback and there right. was, a, there was a, call them the worship wars. And 
Pastor Cliff did a wonderful job of, of guiding Park Hills through that, and it's led us to have the two services that we do now. And now it's, you know, there's there's preferential thing, but it doesn't have to be a judgment issue. It just means I may like hymns more. No, I like the choruses more. But as long as we're praising God, there's not judgment in it. But, you know, back in the day, you, you didn't. You didn't go to movies, and you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And some of those things change, and, and there was judgment passed on those. Um, uh, other types of churches put a bunch of other practices and rules out on ways you need to be mm-hmm. saved. And and uh, Paul's warning is against that. Okay, be careful what, what you assume is true or what um, people are judging you on. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's something that— exists today. You know, I grew up going to a private Catholic school for a few years. Was it a hip one? No. <laughs> no. I had to wear a blue shirt and uh, like pleated pants. I think that's the opposite of hip, but maybe so. I could be wrong. Maybe so. But even that, you know, just thinking through, there are a lot of more liturgical or high church type churches in the world even today that would look down upon us because we're not wearing fancy garb. Right. We're not practicing things the way that they're, quote unquote, supposed to be practiced. You know, we are called low church because we don't have a formal liturgy. We don't have a formal way of doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, even my family from time to time, and I, I mean my broader family, not, you know, my kids and my wife. But when we move into my extended family, we still have a pretty strong Catholic or Lutheran contingent in parts of that family. And so when they ask me to pray, because I'm the pastor, so of course I have yeah, to pray. Yeah, you always right? get asked to pray. If I'm praying at Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, they I've heard some say, say one of those crisp prayers. And what they mean by that is where <laughs> they think I just make it all up as I go. I'm just kind of free fall, you know, like it's like a, I'm a rapper, so to speak, where I'm just, I'm praying the way I want to pray and I don't have any structure or whatever to follow, which is, Partly true because we believe that we're just talking directly to God. Right. There's no formal or informal way to do it. You're just talking directly to God. But that's weird for them, and it's funny to hear them say those things to me. Right? You know, oh, we're gonna we're gonna pray a Christ prayer, which means I'm just gonna thank God for the food, and then I'm gonna thank Him for a bunch of other things, and the in, you know the birth, the death, of His resurrection of His Son, and how that's impacted my life, and then say Amen, and we move on, as opposed to our Father in Heaven, who are you know. So there's all these things that kind of go into it, and, and we and there's we think, judgment there, and, and there is, and there's there's a, a mentality toward it. You know, uh, I, I did first confession where I sat in a booth and talked through kind of a, you know, a woven cloth to speak to the priest on the other side so he could pray on my behalf to be forgiven of my sins. Mm. You know, I, I had a, a baptism as an infant uh, and then a baptism a little bit later in, in a different version of our faith who uh, that really happened because they I needed to be baptized to be saved. And that, again, we talked about that last time. That's not exactly how things really are laid out in scripture, right? Or um, just attitudes toward parishioners or toward, you know, the world. If, if we would have converted my church when I was a kid, which was a, a Catholic, you know, parish in St. Louis, Missouri area. If we would have converted that to reach the young, it would have been a massive change. We would have had to do everything differently and it wouldn't have worked. And it would have been a pushback partly because how dare we ever do that? And it would have been strongly judgmental toward that. So it was a beautiful thing, kind of a crazy thing for me to walk into a church like Park Hills when I was a teenager that was actually trying to invest in young adults and trying to invest in young students. And so the music had something that I was like, well, I actually want to listen to this and I want to sing it all week long. I had never experienced it before, even to the point where I met people who read God's word outside of Sunday morning. 
You're kidding. That was a weird thing for me. It was really weird for me to ha- hear someone say something like devotions. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Or quiet time. Right, yeah. or quiet time. And you're going to go spend time with the Lord on your own reading God's word. But I remember how captivating that was and how it just totally changed my heart and made me go, I can seek God on my own. This is amazing. And so that's not me throwing judgment back at Catholicism or even other areas of our faith, although some branches of Christianity have chosen to move away from the gospel, and that should be mourned by us, and we should aim toward being a gospel-centered yeah. church and gospel-centered people. However, some of the practices that are done aren't the worst thing ever. It's it's not crazy or terrible, and there's moments where I miss the high church idea. There's moments where I miss the the reverence for yeah. God and the, yeah. the liturgy that comes with it and the, you know, the prayers that have been prayed for a thousand or more years. Uh, sometimes I miss that. But the truth is, I'm not judgmental toward them, and, and they should be less judgmental toward us if they aren't already. The, the truth is what Paul's making the case here is there's a different way of doing things, and we shouldn't be puffed up thinking that our way is the right way. We should seek after Christ and let everything else shuffle from there, right. which is why we made the move for to, to switch up our you know our worship ministry direction a little bit over the last year. And it's not even that we were going in the wrong direction. We, just, we knew we wanted someone to oversee that area to disciple worship leaders, and that's why we hired Bo. You know, or uh, as we plan youth ministry and children's ministry in the in the years to come, if we're ever able to do things like we used to before COVID, uh, you know, those that was a joke. We're clearly going to get back to that someday. But <laughs> in the it? meantime, just w- as we structure and plan and and, and plot and, and think, we don't do so with an air of judgment over us. We're not yeah. afraid of what we're going to do because we're seeking after Christ, and we believe that when Christ gives us the ideas of what we're going to do, then we just do it. And really. So much of this just comes down to keeping Christ central and and focusing on his word. And and that's what helps us sort through how much of this is a tradition that we've just all embraced now as holy as opposed to what's biblical. What, what do we want to do? Uh, how do we move forward uh, pursuing that which is biblical and, and that has value? Again, uh, I think I said it in, in the message was in that... This doesn't mean we throw out spiritual disciplines. That means the things that we do aren't good. And uh, or, that doesn't mean that the things we do aren't good. There, there's some value. Um, you know, we still want to practice communion together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that when you consider uh, what the effect that COVID has had, especially for the high church, where, when it comes to things like, you know, we, we practice communion. We're remembering what Christ did. It's a symbol of what he did, of his body and his blood. But for some of our other churches, it's very difficult for them because if you can't be together and that priest can't just put it on your tongue and you can't all drink from that same cup, it's it's a much more difficult for them. And that's been an issue of frustration because they can't stay with those religious practices that right. they've done. And right. uh, it creates... Uh, judgment of, no, this isn't the right way to do this, or how can we do this? You know, and it's interesting. Yeah. This year has definitely made us realize things that maybe we take for granted uh, and made us push back on maybe some of the practices or the traditions that we think we can't move away from. And I'm talking to folks across a lot of different faith spectrums right now who are asking some big questions of if we, what does it mean if we can't meet together in the way we used to? Does that mean we're still a church? Does that mean we still practice this? Does that mean we still do this or that or the other thing? Uh, It's been a a crazy year for that, but it's also been helpful to sort of solidify some of what we want to be and, and some of the things that we want to do moving forward. And so I think, you know, if I had a crystal ball although that would be an anti-biblical concept. Uh, You know, if I was able to look forward in the future, I I would say I I wouldn't be surprised if we settle on some really neat ideas moving forward. And if 
the church as it's rebirthed from here actually is a healthier version of us because we've been through the fire, thought some things through and realized, oh, this is this is how we want to do things. Yeah. Which really the, the whole point of this passage and really this first half of Colossians and Colossians breaks into two halves really easily. Chapters one and two is all about what Christ has done. And chapters three and four is about then what do we do with that? Yeah. Right. If, if Christ died for our sins and if Christ is the head of the church in chapter one and if he's done all these things to qualify us then let no one else disqualify us because Christ alone is our qualifier. Mm-hmm. Then since we've been raised with him, chapter three, we should live this way. We should think this way. We should act this way. And really, I think the, the way that I would sum up chapters one and two is that Christ followed the rules. He he embraced what God wanted from the perfect human being, and he did it not so that we would then fall in line and follow the rules, but he did it so that you and I could be free. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people I know use that freedom to do whatever they want to do. Way too much. And as we have seen in our country, freedom isn't always the best thing, which is why sometimes people want to push back on our freedom and sort of take it away from us because they're convinced that, he, you know, Americans specifically don't always use their freedom for good. Uh, guilty. I think we all are guilty of yeah. that, right? So there's this, this push and pull politically or elsewhere that just says, well, people don't really use freedom well, so why would we give it to them? But what's beautiful about the, the hope of the gospel, and so let me wrap it up in just a second or two. It's going to be more than that, but... Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, followed all the rules, quote unquote, and freed us. Now, the question is, now that you've received Christ and you've received freedom from your past sins, your future death, and all of your life not looking the way it's supposed to, now that you're free from that and you've been given a new life and a new identity and a new way of thinking, how are you going to use that freedom? And the struggle we as Christians deal with all the time is, am I using my freedom to honor Christ or am I using my freedom to push back on what God would want me to do? And unfortunately, too often we use our freedom to run away from what God wants versus using our freedom as a form of worship, saying, God, I know I could go do this, that, or the other thing, but I'm going to choose to honor you with my life in this way because I know what you've done for me and I'm going to use my freedom to praise you. So that's how I really perceive what's happening here in the first couple of chapters of Colossians. Paul's saying, don't let anybody look down on you about this, that, or, you know, whether it's food or, or a festival, those things really don't matter. Now, if you feel convicted to do those things, do them, right? I mean, there's no reason why you can't practice this. There's no reason why you can't practice that. But whatever you're practicing, don't see that as your salvation. This is a freedom that you've been given in Christ. Yeah. So now go do it. And if you choose to do it, great. Jews, go follow all your practices, but don't look down on your Gentile brother or sister who doesn't want to do it. And on the flip side, Gentile brothers and sisters don't say, well, I got this in Christ and I don't have to do any of that other stuff. So you guys are dumb for doing it. That's not how the church works. What the church is supposed to do is, is realize that we don't judge one another. And we don't look down upon one another, no matter what we're, we're practicing. So I might have a, a church brother or sister who's very passionate about Christmas in a way that I'm not. And I shouldn't look down on them. I should celebrate Mm -hmm. with them their idea of what they're aiming for, as long as it's biblical, as long as it's trustworthy and true and do that. Or they might see New Year's in a different way, or they might see, you know, any of these other festivals or, or they might say, I don't, I don't eat red meat. Okay. That's great for you. I mean, it's sad for you, but great for you, you know, good for you. You're missing out on a steak, but good for you. I'm glad that you made that decision. Or I'm a vegetarian and I believe that that's what the Bible has led me to do. Great. You're free to do that. Go do your thing. I am going to enjoy uh, not being a vegetarian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I don't think anybody would ever question that you and I are vegetarians. No, and I, I won't get judged in that way. Good. I might get judged for not being one, but <laughs> uh, I love what you said. You know, Christ comes and he is the fulfillment of the law. And it's because we couldn't, Yep. you know, in our, in our captivity, we triumph 
in his triumph. Isn't that cool? And it's all about keeping him at the center. It's okay to have our ideas and our, you know, our practices, but boy, Christ has got to be at the center of it. And when the procedures and the rules and the liturgy, all that stuff start to push Christ out of people's hearts and minds and and it becomes mechanical. Something bad has happened there. Right. And we have a beautiful Savior, and he needs to be the focus. Amen.